The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. And um, turn in your scriptures to Mark chapter number 8. And um, I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 22. Um, and then uh, we're going to explain what uh, Mark 8, 1 through 26 is, is about. At least I hope so. Uh, they came to Bethsaida, that is Jesus and his disciples, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. It's the word of the Lord. The New York Times published a report this past week uh, titled, The Top Concerns of Americans, the top concerns of Americans. The headline, of course, was anger over rising inflation. Americans are unhappy about the economy, writes German Lopez. His article states, and I quote, Americans report less confidence in the economy than they did at the start of the COVID pandemic when the unemployment rate was four times as high as it is now. Their feelings toward the economy are almost as low as they were during the depths of the Great Recession in 2008. Now, my sermon uh, isn't about the economy. Tyler didn't come home from college to hear her pastor preach a sermon about the economy. It's not why we're here. But I'm using that and the article to introduce a question that is at the heart of Mark 8, 1 through 26, and here's the question. If you were to take an inventory of your own discipleship, if you were to take an inventory of your own discipleship, what would be your top concern? What would be your top concern? Would it be your prayer life or lack of? thereof maybe would it be that you have been neglecting your bible reading and your study of god's word um have you become selfish you're not serving others in the name of jesus maybe you're concerned about some discouragement in your life uh some weight that burdens you down or some inability to overcome a particular sin or sinful habit when we read uh, Mark 8, and we will, aren't going to read the whole passage, but the section we're going to talk about, um, what we find is that Jesus has a priority concern for the discipleship of his own disciples. That Jesus has a top concern for the discipleship of his disciples. And this should cause our own ears to perk up a bit 
because as the Lord of the church, the ascended and exalted Lord Jesus Christ is deeply concerned about our discipleship as well. The Lord of glory knows the uh, details of my discipleship and of yours, and he is concerned about those things. And this concern is clearly stated in verse number 15 when Jesus says to his disciples, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now had I thought all week on the question, what is the top concern with my discipleship, I'm probably not arriving at the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. I doubt, maybe in the room, maybe, but I doubt that anybody in the room, when I asked you what's your top discipleship concern, would have thought, oh, it's the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And yet, and yet, Jesus says that his priority concern for the discipleship of his disciples is the leaven of Herod, uh, of the Pharisees and of Herod, and I would suggest that that might be ours as well. But we, we wouldn't arrive there because we, we aren't very clear on what does that mean? The leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, simply put, Leaven has to do with influence, with influence. And and it comes in many forms, but regardless of how it comes, leaven has an effect to deaden our ability to perceive and understand Jesus and his agenda for the church. So the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod was a an influence that had a deadening effect on the disciples' discipleship. They were yet to see Jesus clearly. And I would suggest that that is our priority concern as well, that we don't see Jesus as clearly as we should. We are not as lined up with his agenda as we should be. But in a chapter like Mark 8, when you have some really incredible miracles, our temptation is to think about the miracles. Another feeding of over 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. The guy at the end gets spit in his eyes. He can't see the first time. Jesus has to give it a double whammy. What's that about? Finally, the guy can see. I mean, that's a whole lot more interesting than to ask ourselves about the influences that are deadening our souls and spirits towards the work of God in Christ through the ministry of his church and the word and, 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 and through the, uh, the, the blessing of the table or the blessing of our baptism and the fellowship of the church. Who thinks about those things? Right? And yet Jesus says that is a top concern. Mark uses the two miracles to make points about discipleship. And and the first point really is found in verse number 12, when after this miraculous uh, feeding of over 4,000 people, and you see it there at the end of verse number 10 that the disciples and Jesus get into the boat and they head off 
uh, to another area, the district of Malnathua. I probably didn't get that correct, but it's close enough. Uh, and then um, you have in verse 11 Pharisees coming, and what do they begin to do with Jesus? What does the text say? What do they begin to do? Yeah, they argue with him. They argue with him. If you're not in your Bible, get there. Mark chapter 8, verse number 11, because the text is really important for us to see the sequence. They argue with him, and as they argue with him, what are they asking for? What do they want? Yeah, they, they want him to show them another sign. Hey, do another, do another trick. Then we'll believe in you. You see, that's the implication. Because they ask another sign that they might, that they might test him. Now, the way Jesus responds to this really reveals the first point that Mark is making. You see, Jesus doesn't respond to them. He has an, first, he has an internal conference with himself. He sighs, and uh, he says in his spirit, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly to you no sign will be given to this generation. So, so Jesus, he's being argued with. They're asking him to you know, snap his fingers and do something else, and then you know, they'll believe. And Jesus sighs, catches his breath. He then says to himself, you know, what's wrong with these people? And then what does he do next? He gets in the boat and he leaves. He gets in the boat and he leaves. So, some might want to criticize Jesus because he seems to just walk away. And we might be tempted to ask, well, you know, maybe they needed more proof. But Mark's point has been made throughout all of the previous seven chapters. Jesus has already given enough proof. There's nothing else that he needs to do in order to be believed. And it's not only the miracles that he's performed. It is in the life that he lived. It is in his teaching it is in the comprehensive way that he shows himself to be God's Messiah. No further evidence was needed. The question by the Pharisees is simply a verbalization of the leaven that they were spreading, which is unbelief, which is doubt, which is saying, oh, another trick. Do something else, and then we'll believe. Of course, the same was true of Herod. You might think it odd that Mark includes Herod in the equation, um, or, and, and, and uh, yet he does beware of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. That's what Jesus said. Don't forget that Herod not only knew about Jesus, but Herod had a very unique one-on-one -on -one relationship with John the Baptist who Jesus identifies as the prophet who is the greatest born among all women. In other words, Herod had occasion more than once to sit and listen and discuss matters with John the Baptist who is at the top of the pinnacle of all the prophets of Israel according to Jesus. And what in the end does Herod do to John? What does he do? He beheads him. He beheads him. It is, as the Apostle Paul wrote, people always are learning 
but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That's a point that Mark is making. Another sign, another sermon, another Bible study, another what? Before you will give your life to Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. The miracle and this confrontation show us the second point then that Mark is making. And here again, the sequence of the text is very important to follow if we're going to stay with the author's aim. So in in verses 14 to 17, where you have this discipleship concern expressed, uh, the story picks up again. They get in the boat, they go to the other side, and while they're going, what had had the disciples forgotten to bring? Verse 14, yeah, they forgot to bring bread. And so Mark shows us then what's kind of going on in the boat. And Jesus, as he's talking, he, he is... He is giving this warning, right? In verse 15, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But what are the disciples doing? Verse 16, they're discussing with one another the fact that what? They had no bread. So you have Jesus giving a warning, and you have the disciples talking about bread. It it reminded me of something that my dad would say to me, to our family in general, um, and he would say it often, your mind is over there, but the problem is right here. (laughs) I don't know if my dad got that from Jesus, but that's kind of what Jesus is saying. You're worried about bread. I'm concerned about what's going on in this boat in your hearts, because I am talking about something that will destroy your soul. You're talking about bread. I'm talking about the soul-destroying effects of the influence of the Pharisees and and of Herod. And, And I would suggest that in this room right now, we need to be warned about the same things because they are lethal to our discipleship. There are things vitally, eternally more important than the price of fuel or food, as important as those things might be, There are things that are eternally more important, and yet how many Christians, that's where their focus is, instead of remembering the words of Jesus who said, oh, you know, I feed the sparrows, and you're more important than they are. What is your top discipleship concern? It's hard for the English translation to capture how strongly worded this caution is, In its original form, it is said in a tense which carries the idea of a warning that is repeated. Now that could mean that Jesus has been saying this all along the way, and in one sense, of course, he has. And in another sense, it might mean that in the boat while they're going, he has been saying this, but they're not getting it. They're not paying attention. But in other words, the caution, the warning, wasn't to be taken lightly. I don't know if you read the, uh, the report on the uh, house fire in Hudson Falls there last week there on LaBarge Street, but according to the report that the fire was started by an overheated cell phone battery that had been left plugged in too long after it had fully charged. And don't you know, since I read the report, every night my cell phone now is unplugged, you know, not taking any chances. I took the report 
to be serious that there might be a problem there. But these disciples, they were focused on something else. They were focused on the fact that they didn't bring bread. Jesus is giving them a warning. He says, watch out. Beware. This idea then is towards their day-to-day experience. In other words, the leavening effects of the Pharisees and of Herod are something that is going to meet you every day in your discipleship. You have to be aware of these things. One commentator suggests that Jesus is telling the twelve to use their heads, to be prudent, to think, to not simply accept what they are hearing from the religious leaders or what they are hearing about you know, civic matters out of Herod's court and the relationship to Rome and all of these things, but instead to perceive with one's eyes. And that, that phrase, perceive by the use of eyes, then really connects to two miracles that bookend this warning. So, so in other words, why would you be worried about bread when you've got the bread multiplier in the boat with you? I mean, he just took seven loaves and he fed over 4,000 people. You got one loaf, do the math. Right? I mean, come on. But, but this is the problem, right, with discipleship. We are so easily distracted into rather pedestrian concerns when we are in the boat with the miracle worker, with the Savior, the Lord of the universe, who holds all things together. And, and, and yet, that's where the disciples are. They are not seeing Jesus clearly as the one who does more than simply feed and fill an empty belly. You know, in, in this regard then, it's where we really see the critical difference between Jesus and what he's spreading, the Pharisees, and of course Herod. Look, look at just the first part of the miracle in the first part of chapter number 8. Look at verse number 2. Jesus says, he's called his disciples to them, and he says, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion on the crowd. You see, Jesus has compassionate concern for hungry people. He says, if I send them away hungry to their homes, they're going to faint. Some of them have come from far away. But in verse number four, what is expressed by the disciples? Well, how can anyone feed people here with bread in this desolate place? What had they forgotten? He had already done it previously. You you, you see, Jesus has this deeply rooted concern of compassion. The disciples lack spiritual perception. So the question in verse number four in one sense is incredibly ridiculous. Why, of course Jesus can feed 4,000 people. He's already fed 5,000 people. And of course he can feed you in the boat with just a little bit of bread. Which is why then you have this, this stern warning in verses 17 and 18 when Jesus now, you know, he's aware of what they're discussing. He says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you yet, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? 
Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? I, I don't like blunt people. It's not that I don't like it. It just makes me uncomfortable. Because I'm, I'm not a blunt person in most cases. I'm a lot more nuanced. I, I, I try to manipulate people to get them to do what I want them to do. In, in the most righteous way, of course. But I'm not, I'm not generally a blunt, a blunt person. You know? uh, oh, by the way, a few weeks ago, the stapler in the church office went missing. And uh, that's been my top concern now for a few weeks. And right now I'm going to use this occasion to say, if you have it, bring it back. <laughs> you know? uh, but I, I digress. I'm sorry. Um, if, you, if you're uncomfortable with blunt people, you may not like what Jesus says to the disciples. You might want Jesus to be a little more nuanced with his disciples. Instead of just like going at them directly, do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts not hard, or are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? You see, in this relationship between a rabbi and a student, bluntness was to be expected. If any of you have been in the United States military, and perhaps the Marine Corps in particular, you will understand what is meant by bluntness with superior officers. Getting recruits shaped up and ready to serve in the United States military. But this relationship between Jesus and his disciples needed bluntness because of how dangerous the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod was actually to these men. And I'll tell you what Ken Prater needs occasionally. He needs some bluntness occasionally. And sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to be released in our lives and in the church with a little bit more bluntness about our discipleship and what our actual concerns should be instead of what most people would express as their concerns. But I want you to notice the difference between the way Jesus interacts with his disciples and the religious leaders. Jesus doesn't exit the boat like he left the Pharisees, you know, Jesus could have gotten out of the boat and just walked on the water and left the thing and gone found new disciples, but he doesn't do this. What, is, what does he do instead? He says, do you not remember, and then he takes them back to the miracles. Do you not remember, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And the disciples are like, oh yeah, oh duh. Yeah, 12. And, and, and then the, the seven for the 4,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And what are they saying? Oh, yeah, that was, just, that was just a few days ago, seven. And then he says, do you not understand? And how many times do we find ourselves in that place? Right? Where, where there's a gap between what we should remember and what we're actually thinking and our faith, and the doubt that creeps in, and the disbelief, and the hardships that we very often face. But the, pa the patient Savior, the one who would love his disciples to the end, and the one who loves us to the end, is very kind and good to us, and sometimes he needs to be blunt, and yet, even when he's blunt, he draws us in with cords of love, and he reminds us 
that he loves us and he cares for us and he is going to provide for us. But do we have ears that are hearing? Is the Spirit unquenched in our lives? Are we sensitive then to the Word of God and prayer and and being encouraged together as a body of Christ? You know, it is no small thing that is happening in this room right now that the Holy Spirit of God is perhaps whispering into our ears what your top discipleship concern should actually be and not the things you've been thinking about and what my top discipleship concern should be and not the things I've been concerned with like staplers and hockey games and other stuff, you know, and other stuff. Well, the concluding miracle then in verses 22 to 26 sets up the internally important question that follows in the next section where we'll be next week. The question that Mark has been driving at in his letter is the one that Jesus then asked his disciples. And again, we're going to see this next week, but it's down in verse number uh, 27. Who do people say that I am? I mean, this is what Mark has been presenting throughout his entire letter. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he who he says he is? And so this kind of pinnacles at this question. Who do people say that I am? Those who are influenced by the leaven of the Pharisees or the leaven of Herod, that is, the leaven of unbelief, will not get the answer to this eternally important question correct. The leaven of unbelief will always influence people away from the actual truth and then tempt them to lead them to trust in their own self-sufficiency. Even though the evidence, it is right in front of them. The leaven of unbelief simply cannot abide the weak and shamed, suffering Savior as Jesus describes it in verse 31 when he begins to teach them plainly that he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. And so the question has to be asked, is anyone in this room always learning but never actually coming to the truth? That your whole experience with Christianity hasn't actually resulted in a transformed life saved by the blood of Christ and then led by the Holy Spirit of God so that you're shaped and formed into the likeness of Jesus. Like the Pharisees and Herod, you've got preaching, you've got the work of God, you've got the word of God, you've got the fellowship of God's people. But you're no closer to heaven than you were the first time you walked in the building. The influence of this world, not in general, but specifically influencing towards doubt and unbelief, happens as much within the church as outside of the church. What further evidence do you need to make a full confession of Jesus Christ? The second point, what's your focus? What's your focus? Where has your mind been since 10.30? And Becca or Ivy, whoever was playing. And we began to ascend up into the very 
throne of God with our worship and praise to the living God? What has been our actual concerns? The miracle in Mark 8, the beginning and the end, is a much-needed lesson for disciples. Many commentators have asked, like, well, why didn't the first healing work? Like, did Jesus, like, only give it, like, half of his power? Like, you know, like, ah, this guy, he doesn't need my whole thing. Oh, wait, no, I need to give a little more. No, that's not the case. The, the, the two-part miracle is actually a lesson or a metaphor, a picture of the disciples who still had blurred vision. <laughs> they still weren't seeing Jesus clearly. And, and such, again, is the case for many disciples today. We still tr- struggle to see Jesus clearly. Mark is showing his readers that blurred vision is a problem for all disciples. The miracle works as a tool to teach us that we may have had an encounter, an actual saving encounter with Jesus, but we still struggle to see Jesus clearly, and we need to battle against the leaven of unbelief. So here's a question as I close. If you, if you ever wonder if you've had a true encounter with Jesus, you might begin with this simple question. Why would God even let you into his eternal kingdom? Why would God let you into his eternal kingdom? If your answer begins with, because I have, dot, 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 and then you fill in the blanks, because I have, you've already disqualified yourself. Because the only answer is because he has. Because of what he has done. And yet so many disciples are not seeing that. And I think if if you want to really say, like, have I had an encounter with Jesus? We need to get that first part correct. It's because of what Jesus has done that I am able to get into God's eternal kingdom. But it doesn't end there, does it? If you want to know if, if the leavening effects of unbelief control your life, then maybe ask yourself, do you show compassion towards others as Jesus shows compassion? Maybe some of you have not heard. I suspect many of you have. And so I ask, what was your first response to yesterday's news out of Buffalo that 10 American citizens were slaughtered in a grocery store for no other reason that they were black. What was your response to that? As a Christian, as a Christian, what was your response to that? I I think that's a very telling thing in our society today. Did you pray for the families of murdered American citizens out doing their grocery shopping? pray for justice to be brought to those families? Or perhaps like the disciples, you think, oh, the problem's too big. Where are we going to, I don't have compassion. I don't have room for compassion for everything. 
So if you were to take an inventory of your discipleship today, what might your top concern be? The warning isn't my warning. It's the warning of the crucified, risen, ascended, exalted Lord Christ. The one who is coming to judge the quick and the dead. He is the one who is willing to get in the boat with disciples. He's willing to walk with us on the way. But he's also the one who is willing to say goodbye to those who only want to test him. So, are you listening to him? Father, I pray that your word, your word might be found to be active and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword in our lives right now. I pray, O oh God, for your mercy to be upon us as we come to this table to receive it. Let us, O oh God, remember. Let us remember, not with blurred vision, but with clear vision, the sacrifice that you have made on behalf of sinners. And in doing so, would we, O oh God, with, with real thanksgiving 